Welcome to another edition of the Speech Uncensored podcast. I'm sitting down with Laura Wolford today, and I'm really excited about our topic. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited too. Yay. All right. So as we get started, Laura, I want you to tell me a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, and the, well, the path to today we will get to in our discussion. So I guess you can save that part for later. So just tell me a little bit about you. Who are you, Laura? I don't know. Hi, I'm Laura <laughs> Wolford. I'm a speech pathologist, um, and I, I feel like I wear a lot of hats, but an assistant professor in a university. I teach voice and swallowing disorders classes. I am a clinical speech pathologist, and I am the founder for thelanguageforsex.com, which is a website teaching other speech pathologists how to work with sex and intimacy with their clients. My research is actually in healthcare education. So I research how to get healthcare professionals and especially speech pathologists to do hard things, to feel confident doing hard things, to put themselves out there to learn difficult topics. My initial dissertation was in teaching SLPs to be more confident going out there and seeking fiber optic endoscopic evaluation of swallowing or fees training um, and feeling more confident that, yeah, they can do this. Um, and I've kind of switched gears to also, how can we teach SLPs to do this? How can we teach SLPs to feel more confident and comfortable talking about sex, which is a topic so many of us have so much difficulty with? Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's that's not something I would ever think I would open a conversation with a patient in my practice with. So I'm really excited to see how this plays a part into the different types of therapy that we do and like which patients would be appropriate in having this discussion. And then how do we do that? Like, and why? Why do I want to have this discussion with a patient? Why are you doing this to me, Laura? Right. Why do I want to put myself <laughs> out there? Because it's an area where so many of us feel so vulnerable and uncomfortable. And why would I ever bring that? up, I feel like that is the biggest hurdle that we get have to get over, I think, mm -hmm. maybe as well as a society, but also as a profession, because as soon True as story. we get through that, it feels like, oh, yeah, actually, of course, I should be doing this. And of course, I should be doing this with, honestly, almost all my patients, at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. So how did this come up in your awareness that this was an area that we need to be focusing on and we need to be getting more comfortable? And these are discussions that we need to be having with your patients. How did this come up to you? So I had about the same experience that I've noticed everybody else who comes to my website and who I'm talking with has had, where I went from, oh, no, that's not something that I would ever do to, oh, no, uh, that is something that I probably should have been doing this whole time. About five years ago, I was at a friend's birthday party and an acquaintance approached me. This was pre-COVID where we could have birthday parties and acquaintances could just approach us by the guacamole. Um, and uh, she uh, came to me and said, hey, you're Laura, right? I hear you do speech stuff. Because of course, nobody ever knows what we do. What's yep. a speech pathologist? Mm -hmm. What is our title? Um, so I hear you do some speech stuff. And my husband actually had a stroke a few years ago. And he's back to work. He is having a few issues with communication and getting his point across and doing presentations. But, you know, the big problem that we're having and we can't find anybody to address for us is in the bedroom. And I put down my plate <laughs> and I thought to myself, 
oh no, uh, I am not the right person for you to be having this conversation with. Who do I refer to you to? A psychologist? A sex therapist? But if the problem is communication, and his particular problem was probably aphasia mixed in with a little bit of apraxia, that's a speech pathologist. If the problem is communication, it's actually somebody exactly like me. Oh no, I don't feel competent in this area. That led me down this huge rabbit hole. And eventually I did wind up working with them and I, they're my first success story. Um, but I wound up going down this rabbit hole and taking all these classes and reading all these books and working towards sex educator certification because I realized, oh no, I need to be better at this. And I don't know where to go for mentorship. So that's what I'm trying to do. I want to be that mentorship because I think this is something we need to do as a field. Yeah. Well, Matt props to that wife who like identified a problem and was seeking out assistance. Like that's awesome. And had, right. I mean, so many of us feel so uncomfortable talking about sex and intimacy in general that her going up to a, a relative stranger. Yeah. At a party. <laughs> uh, yeah. And just opening up like that is mm -hmm. hugely difficult. Uh, yeah. I mean, huge props to her. I, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for her and mm -hmm. how much of a problem this must have been for her to then choose to do that. Right. Like if this wasn't a big deal, she wouldn't have done it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a huge cornerstone of our relationship with our significant other. It's, it's one piece of a really important puzzle that binds us together with that person. And if something happens to that piece, it will affect all the other pieces. It's so true. We, sex is this weird and intimacy, right? It's not all sex. It's all bound up together. But mm. sex and intimacy are this really weird topic in our society and just about every society where we both know that it's really important. And yet we like to pretend like it's not really important. Like it's just recreational. We say things like, oh, you're not having sex in your marriage. Uh, that's doomed, right? Like, it's a really big, it's important. It's a really big part of our lives. And yet we, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to seek out help. And it, uh, it makes it so difficult for our clients to talk about. And it makes it so difficult for us as humans to talk about. Yeah. I've noticed in my practice when I'm working on communication, I actually had a patient with motor speech difficulties. Mm -hmm. And he was actually very, very intelligible, just sitting down and chit-chatting. And so I was like, so tell me exactly how I can help you because you seem to be doing pretty good, right? Uh -huh. And this patient was like, well, when I start having um, an argument or I'm trying to get my point across, so in other words, in like emotionally fraught circumstances, uh -huh. his intelligibility would start to disintegrate. Right. And so right. I feel like in a conversation like this, where your emotions are really tied to it, it's really intimate. It's really important to you. And being able to express that, like the interplay of the emotional aspect to the communication, like could impact it as well. So I just wonder about that. Absolutely. So that physiologic ar arousal, that like autonomic system, autonomic nervous system, flight or fight response that mm -hmm. happens every time we feel cornered or we feel like there's a um, like 
we're being trapped into something or we are uncomfortable. That happens when, both during sex and also when we start thinking about talking about sex, because again, so uncomfortable. So it can make a client who is otherwise fairly intelligible or fairly able to find the right words for things, it can make that so much more difficult. It can really heighten that communication difficulty for them. And when you actually put that in context, that becomes so, so problematic. Wait, can we case study this though? Because (laughs) I've got, let's say you've got a couple and let's just go with woman and a man because it's a little bit easier to then pronoun it. One uses he, him pronouns. One uses she, her pronouns. And he has a stroke. Mm -hmm. The man has a stroke and maybe he has some unilateral weakness, right? Maybe he has a bit of aphasia. Maybe he has a little bit of dysarthria. He goes home. Uh, He is still himself, right? Mm -hmm. He knows that as speech pathologists. He still has his own needs, his own wants, his own interests. He is still a full human being who now has physical and speech and language difficulties. He still probably wants to have a relationship with his spouse. He still probably wants to have sex. um, And he still probably wants to have that emotional connection that comes with deep intimacy. Mm -hmm. His spouse now has this husband that she doesn't really 100% understand how to interact with anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily understand what his limitations are, what he, his, the good stuff is, what can he still do? Mm-hmm. Both of these people are probably really uncomfortable with the idea of like, oh, how do we have sex after stroke? Because nobody has provided them with that education, usually. Um, a lot of times they're very scared about like, well, if we have a, have sex, is there going to be another stroke? And the answer, by the way, is Probably not, providing that the blood pressure is under control. But as a speech pathologist, that's not like our, like, I'm not answering that question. I'm deferring them back to their their provider. But so she's going to be really uncomfortable because she doesn't know what he wants. If sex is a thing anymore, she's suddenly thrust into this caregiver role that she's not prepared for and not used to. And he's probably feeling like, well, I don't want to bring it up. Maybe I'm, I'm a little gross now. A lot of times people feel a little bit like, now I'm a patient, my body isn't something that I recognize anymore. My speech Mm -hmm. isn't something I recognize anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the vulnerability it takes for those two people to then talk about actually engaging in any kind of intimate conversation, any kind of sexuality, they're going to have to talk about it in order to like actually have sex, right? Especially if there's mobility issues now, you've got to discuss that. You've got to discuss that in the moment. Oh my gosh, does it become complex? And oh my gosh, does it hinge on communication? Mm-hmm. Yep. We I love help. that. Like, it's so important. And I'm so glad you touched on the fact that like their, their roles as spouses has now changed because of that stroke. Whereas mm-hmm. maybe the, the man was the primary provider and the caregiver like we'll we'll just use those real like structured right and a lot of times when we're talking about older populations they're very entrenched into those gender roles right yeah Yeah. and like whether or not that's something that I love as an individual that is true for their that may be true for their life Right, right. So that's kind of the example that we're using is or people who identify in those traditional gender roles. And yeah, and so 
for for him, he's balancing like this complete shift to who he is and what he is and what role mm-hmm. he he he's handling this now, right? And then she's now adjusting to being the care provider and taking care of other intimate aspects of his care that maybe she didn't yeah. need to before. And bringing that back in together with being like sexually intimate can be challenging for people who it's like, well, now I have to dress you. Now I have right. to like brush your teeth and now we're going to be intimate. Like it, I feel like that's a big mind shift for both of them to kind of grapple with and get to a place. Oh, it truly, truly is in so many ways. I, I really am glad. I'm so glad that you brought up that like going from that caregiver mindset to the spouse relationship partner mindset. And it's something that honestly, I think that all of the medical providers in a care team need to be talking about openly mm-hmm. because a lot of times what our clients need is permission to both feel the way that they're feeling and knowledge that like, oh, this is a thing. And this is actually a thing that you can get past if you work on it. A lot of times people just feel like, oh, this is my life now. This isn't what I signed up for, but this is my life now. And there's no way of changing it. And that's Mm -hmm. so sad that we have research into aphasia specifically that looks into relationship roles changing, sexual satisfaction, intimacy satisfaction, and none of the results are good. Mm. It, it, it's so sad. And I just feel like if we were to talk with people about this, it wouldn't have to be so sad. Like we could really get better outcomes. All we know right now is that it's bad. We don't really, we haven't touched yet onto how to help. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm an SLP. And how do I talk about consent, sex and intimacy with my patient? And is that a conversation that only needs to happen when the patient and their spouse are in the same room? Do I start it with one? Um, Do I wait for one of them to bring it up? Like, how do I navigate this? Yeah, so I have kind of split in my mind between uh, it's SLPs that work with peds and SLPs that work with adults. Because when Mm -hmm. we're working with kids, we're definitely, our job is to teach about consent. Our job is to talk about like bodies doing things in a way that is very accurate and gives our clients the words to describe uh, everything, right? Mm -hmm. Describe their own needs, describe what has happened to them. If we're talking about like a sadder kind of sexual assault kind of situation, describe their own bodies, when we're talking about adults, we're talking about facilitating communication. Um, And that's really all it is. It's facilitating communication. So I think that we need to bring it up. I think that our clients need to know that we are a safe space to talk about this thing and that other people have similar experiences. Mm A lot of times people are very, they're, they know that they're having an experience, but they don't know who to talk about it with because nobody else is bringing it up. And there's this, okay, so to get a little like sex education nerdy on you, uh, there's uh, this model of sex ed that is, uh, it, Jack Annan developed it in the 1970s and it's very commonly cited. It's like the Anderson model of clinical supervision and speech pathology. This is like the Jack Annan model of sex ed in sex education. But the the basis of this model is 
everybody needs permission to talk about sex. And for a lot of people, that's all they need. All they need is, okay, yeah, what you're going through is normal and you can talk about it with me. And that a lot of times is the treatment. <laughs> that, it, yeah, just knowing that this is okay is, is what a lot of, it's the first thing that a lot of people need. So we bring it up and we bring it up like everything else that we bring up right? If I'm going to bring up how is your communication affecting your work? How is it affecting your ability to talk with your kids? How is it affecting your day-to-day -day life? I am also going to bring up how is it affecting your intimate relationship? How is it affecting your sexuality? Just like anything else. Mm. And just like any of those other areas, I'm going to probably bring it, bring it up occasionally as we go through our therapy. And if I'm very professional about it and I'm not freaked out about it and I don't preface it with, I know this is kind of an awkward question and maybe you, I don't, I'm not super comfortable with saying it, but is your communication disorder affecting you in the bedroom? If, we, if we're not super weird about it, then our clients will have confidence too, that they don't need to be super weird about it, mm -hmm. that it's okay. Yeah. All right. That's really good. What, what I'd really love now, I feel like you explained that really well is like to do another case study, right? So you're the SLP. Mm -hmm. I am your patient. All right. I have a communication impairment and I want you to open that conversation up and then like see where that goes. Sure. Uh, have I ever met you before? Is this a, the very first time I'm doing my initial evaluation? That's a great question. Do you, how about we do like maybe second or third treatment session in? You did bring it up during eval, but I demurred okay. and I was like, oh no, everything's fine. <laughs> so yeah, that's I okay. mean that's not uncommon, right? Especially if you're in a hospital or something, and that person has better things to worry about at the moment than their sexuality. They're like, what's a stroke? I, a lot of times, there was actually a study that found that people who have had strokes say the best time to bring it up is about five to seven months after the stroke when they've like gone home and they've had time to realize, Hey, I am having some problems. I didn't realize I was going to have, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, that's the time, like that's a real key time to kind of get in there and talk about sexuality. So, okay. I've seen you a couple of times. The first couple of times that we talked, we didn't really talk about sex. You were maybe not super into talking about it. And that is the reason that we didn't go any further. Then I think the first th thing that I, I would ask is probably 10 minutes into the therapy session. It's not going to be as soon as you like show up. Hey, how's your sex life? But a, a couple minutes into the therapy session, we're talking about how if you're outpatient, maybe like how your day to day life is going. I'm going to say something like a lot of people who have had insert condition here, notice that it really affects their intimate relationships, their relationships with their spouses, if you're married, the relationships with their, the people that they are dating, it can even impact your sex life. Have you noticed anything like that? Well, maybe. And then they nice. look back to you. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Kick it back to you now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times I'm just going to push them a little bit. So tell me a little bit about what you mean by maybe. What have you noticed? Well, I feel like he does everything for me and wants to be really helpful. 
when then by the end of the day, we're both just so tired and we've been grumpy to each other. So neither of us are just really talking about it. A lot of times it can be difficult to gain back that intimate life. It can be really difficult when you're everything in your life has become so much more challenging after insert condition here. Um, the, it, it can be really hard to find that intimacy again. Have you all tried anything to connect with one another? Well, I tried wearing XYZ to set the mood, <laughs> uh-huh. but it didn't, it didn't pick up on my cues. Yeah. So after insert condition here, a lot of times that communication can be very, very difficult. And our relationships with our loved ones, it's all tied in with communication, right? Have you had a conversation with your spouse or partner about your intimate needs? I don't know how to start one. And if we opened that conversation up, I don't know if I would be able to express everything that I need to accurately for them to understand. So about this time, the thing that my brain is going through is, okay, there is definitely a huge counseling component here, right? Like there is a marital satisfaction component. There is a sexual satisfaction component. There is a, I don't know how to interact with my spouse component. There's also probably a communication is impacting this conversation component. So I would likely ask if my client has gone to a relationship counselor, because I'm not going to play the relationship counselor. And I I do try to make sure that there is a, there is a clear differentiation there. And a lot of times the answer will be no right? Mm -hmm. We have Mm -hmm. not had time. We have not had money. We like the idea of going to a counselor scares the everything out of me. The answer will usually be no. And so I'll suggest that. I will also suggest, hey, you might want to bring it up with your partner. Talk to your partner about how you're feeling. And if your communication is getting in the way of that in any fashion, I am here to help with that. So I don't, I, I'm trying not to place all of the onus on the separate provider that may or may not ever exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause we know so many of our clients that would benefit from counseling never go. Yeah. And so I do want to loop back that there is a place for me in this conversation. I cannot be the counselor. I am not the counselor, but there is a place for speech. I do want you to feel comfortable bringing it up again. I want to be able to ask you in the future about this topic. I just, I try to balance those two areas. And now that I'm a sex educator, like it's even harder because mm-hmm. like I can do sex education with people that don't have communication disorders. I try to, to draw that clear line that still encompasses me as part of this discussion. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah, that's really helpful because as an outpatient SLP, I find so often I need very, very strong counseling skills Mm -hmm. (laughs) because people are past the acute stages of their condition and they're back home. And so it's really, really sinking in how much their lives have changed. Mm -hmm. And so they're processing a lot of things. Grief is one of them. Always. Yeah. 
and when that ties into their therapy progress and how it can impact and maybe like slow down or inhibit therapy progress because they're processing or not processing these changes in their life. Like that's, that's where like elements of counseling come in, but then it's like with some folks, it's just way more than you could even address. So I'm always interested because I feel like when you bring this up, like you mentioned, like there can be so many counseling, like marital issues that they kind uh-huh. of need to unpack. And that's not what speech therapy is for clearly. Right. It's about communicating their needs with each other and how to accomplish that. Not like working through certain issues. And a thing that I tend to do, especially in my outpatient visits, um, and this isn't just related to sex, this is forever is I'll just talk about my own mindset as something comes up. And if I have a question or I'm, I feel like I don't know how to navigate this, whatever challenge it is, I will talk about, here's what I know my scope to be. Here are the things that I know I can help you with. To me, when you talk about whatever it is with me, when you're telling me about your marital situation, I feel like there is a communication component to this and I want to help you work on it. There is also relationship component that is bigger than just how do I say the right words? How do I come up with the right phrases? There's a relationship component where it sounds like you're having a tough time connecting with your spouse. You're arguing all the time. You are frustrated and tired. And I'm part of that is communication, but part of it probably isn't. And I, I want to hold the space for you to talk about this in therapy with me. I also want to suggest that you seek out counseling, psychotherapy, licensed marriage and family therapist, because this feels bigger than speech. Does it feel that way to you? And if if that starts them thinking, A, Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times that's all I can do, right? I cannot Mm -hmm. drag my clients to a licensed marriage and family therapist. That's there's so much accessibility difficulty that is in that, that I, mm-hmm. I feel like we do need to acknowledge. Like there's monetary privilege. There's like a lo- most marriage and family therapists, very much like the speech pathology field, very white, you know, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of people don't feel comfortable. There's so many layers of inaccessibility there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my client to feel like, well, if I don't go to the therapist, I can never talk to you about it. So I just try to be real open about what I'm thinking so that I don't accidentally throw up walls. I don't mean to throw up, but that mm-hmm. my client knows kind of where my scope is. Yeah. Well, I want to like share a positive little story that I think will make you so happy. Oh, yay. Ages ago, like, but within the last year, I think it was the last year. <laughs> Time is all wibbly wobbly these days. So anyway, in the anymore. past, right in the past. I was working with a patient and we were developing um, short little scripts to use to improve their expressive communication. Mm-hmm. So I was mining their personal life for functional, meaningful phrases for us to use. Function, function, um, function. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I was like, uh, what do you do during the day? What are your interests? Uh, who do you communicate most with? What do you want to say to them? So we were generating some phrases to use uh, when communicating with their spouse. And one of them that they came up with all on their own was, I want to have sex. And it just, it came out of nowhere. And I think that's the first and only time in my memory that a patient has brought up 
like sex and intimacy type of communication in therapy. And so like, I was surprised. I was like, Oh, okay. But I'm like, there's nothing more functional than that. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, keep it professionally. And so we wrote it down. That was on his list. And that was something that he practiced, but I did not like take it further. I didn't unpack it. I didn't say, um, is this helping? Is this working? Like, are there other sentences that might help improve like your intimacy, like communication, but like this person like brought it up, made it part of his therapy also because I made it part of his therapy to have phrases that meant something to him. So that was right. Yeah. So I was like, yay, this patient who like advocated for better communication for his intimacy with his spouse. Yeah, for real. That's absolutely wonderful. And good on you for having that, because a lot of people will have it, right? That like, ugh, reaction. And then look, (laughs) kind of, okay, bring that in, Leanne. Uh, And then moving forward, because some people will say to that client, oh, that's not appropriate. I don't get to say what that patient does and doesn't want to say to their spouse. I mean, unless it's harmful and hurtful, like I wouldn't let that patient practice hurtful phrases. That's not hurtful. That's relationship building. (laughs) Exactly. I think that it's important for us to honor within ourselves that like moment that it's, it's okay. That is the society that we live in. That is the message that we've gotten since we were very little. And so it's okay to have that feeling, but it is not okay to then place that on our clients. I think something, Laura, that I grappled with in that situation is like, we're, we're very aware of power dynamics in the, or we should be in the therapy room. So like, I'm a young white female providing therapy Mm -hmm. to a much older white male. And so when they bring up uh, like sexual content topics, like, I have to quickly assess what's their intent. What's their meaning? Is this Mm -hmm. threatening to me or not? Yeah. And every, every person in all different kinds of power dynamics and circumstances are probably at some level computing that. And so that was, that was my like, like, where is this going? Is this going to make me, is this going to make me personally uncomfortable? Not just because he wants to talk about it with his wife, but like, is this going, is this somehow like, what's their intent really? Uh Uh-huh. And because I, I didn't react, I added it and that's kind of where it went. Then it was clear his intent was never to make me feel uncomfortable or to imply anything to me. Mm-hmm. This was communication for their spouse. Yeah, I think so, that's a really good point. That's but. the other thing I want to, yeah, is just to highlight that is that we can sometimes take things personally and feel threatened mm-hmm. by things that that was not the intent of the other person. And so if you feel that way, do try to examine the bigger picture and, and be aware that there's a possibility, but there's also the, the overt signs that no, like they could be using language in a harmful direction towards you as a therapist too. But right. I mean, our so, clients can definitely harass us. Anybody who has worked with clients knows that our clients can harass us and we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're going to make ourselves super vulnerable in that way it's a difficult line to toe mm-hmm. you're entirely right about that it on the one hand we want to make sure that our clients are getting the help that they need but we also i, I feel like that about donning and doffing ppe right like you got to protect yourself mm-hmm. um and that's really important i mean especially with the 
the rates of assault. I know that I can't talk to speech pathologists as though they have no experience with this, right? Like just statistically, a lot of people are going to come to this conversation with a lot of baggage isn't the right word, but you know, like we all have stuff. Yeah. We all Mm -hmm. have our own histories and we've all been hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of us much more than others, but we've, we've all been hurt. And so to ask providers to talk about sexuality, when a lot of times we're not comfortable with it ourselves, we've been hurt. We have our own histories. We have our, everything that we bring to the table. I don't think we can do that lightly. I don't mm-hmm. think it's okay for me to go shouting into the void. Hey, everybody, you need to be having these conversations. And why haven't you been doing it? And blah, blah, blah. like, this is a deep and a heavy topic. This is deep for us as providers. This is deep for our clients. Um, if I bring it up, I have to be aware that like my client may have a significant history too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a lot to juggle. It's a weighty topic. Yeah, it is. Um, I feel very similarly about bringing up topics about like end of life care and things mm-hmm. like that, because it's, it's also very fraught with emotions. And I'm, I've in the past, I've been scared about like saying the wrong thing, uh, like a bull in a China shop. Cause I'm yeah. a very direct person. So I would just like, I wouldn't find a classy, like relatable way to, to make an inquiry. I'd just be like, Hey, how, how are you doing today? And they're like, well, I'm dying. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. So not great. (laughs) So there's ways to have these conversations. And, um, and I think that's what's so important about this conversation that we're having is that you've given us examples of, about how to navigate that like in a, like a made up patient example about how to broach the topic. Um, when it doesn't go anywhere, you don't dig. Right. You need people to feel safe. Yeah. And that we're not their counselors. We're there to help empower them with communication. These, this is what I can help you with. I can help you formulate sentences and improve your clarity of speech so that your spouse knows your intent so that you can deliver the message. And if you can't deliver it verbally, we have lots of nonverbal communication options that we can use to help you communicate your message to your spouse. Like that's our expertise. Right, exactly. And we just need to be open to having that conversation. There's an amazing, um, she, she has a lot of hats too, but she is a sex educator who uses an AAC device. Um, and she, her name is Eva Sweeney and uh, he, she wrote an article about all of these different nonverbal ways to communicate about consent, to communicate about like safe words and your wants and needs and all of that stuff in bed and things that you want to be thinking about when you're thinking about a person with a communication disorder. And I just, I don't know, I felt like it was eye opening because there are so many different ways we can communicate with each other, even non-verbally that we just need to practice um, yes, and speech pathologists yes. really can help. We, I mean, we, this is our, this is our gift. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, there's no more functional goal than having a relationship with your spouse, or if you're not married, whomever. 
and sex is part of that. It's not all of that, but it's part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've kind of touched on it, but I wondered if you wanted to like hone in on it anymore about like, why is like bringing this topic up and talking about sex and intimacy, like so hard for us? That's a good question. I, and it's definitely bigger than speech, right? Like this is not just a thing that is hard for speech pathologists. This is a thing that is hard for people. And we just happen to be people. I, I think it's because we get such really conflicting messages our whole lives about the role sex is supposed to play in our lives and the role that we are supposed to play in relation to sex. We know that sex is important. We know that I talked about like that whole a sexless marriage is doomed to failure thing. Like we know that it's important. Society tells us it's an important thing that like it's important to be sexy. It's important to be wanted. And that is who fraught with a whole bunch of other problems, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like who gets to define what what is sexy? Exactly. And on the other hand, we hear that like, oh, it's, it's dirty. People that talk about sex are dirty or wrong or slutty or whatever. Um, Sex is a thing that happens behind closed doors. For most of us, we don't have any experience knowing about other people's sex lives aside from like, what do my girlfriends tell me? Uh, Or (laughs) porn, right? And that's not real. And so we don't have any concept of what is normal even because we don't talk about it openly. And Mm -hmm. that puts us in a, anytime we talk about sex, it puts us in a really vulnerable position to be judged. And so it's, oh my goodness, there's a lot of emotion that comes with it and a lot of discomfort. Uh, And it's baked into us from essentially the time that we're born. It's hard. So as you've gone through your own training to become a sex educator, how, what are some of the tools that you've learned to, and I don't know, I'm just assuming, have you had to overcome these own obstacles in your own life to be more open and freeing to talk about sex and sex education? For real. Yeah. Um, Certainly the first time that I had that conversation that I talked to you about, I, my first reaction was, I'm nervous. Um, one of the things that in sex educator training we have to go through is something that's called a SAR and off the top of my head, I'm forgetting what it's called, what it, that stands for a sexual attitude reassessment, I think. Um, and we get, yeah, I think that's right. And we get exposed. It's like a three day event. Uh, you get exposed to a whole lot of like videos and discussing all of these different like sexual attitudes and sexual interests that you might not have known about in the past. I didn't know about all of them. And I I think of myself as a relatively open person. Um, And uh, you wind up having to grapple with like, okay, some people are into that. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. How do I feel on the inside when I watch this? Um, Is the answer incredibly uncomfortable? Is the answer? Oh, I kind of like that. Is the answer something in between? Whatever that answer is, it that too is okay. I just can't stick that on somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, just because I like it or I don't like it or I'm uncomfortable with it, that just it doesn't give me license to force anybody else to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So um, 
as we wrap up and kind of summarize our talk that's gone and I feel like we've covered a lot of ground here today, Laura. This is great. You're amazing. Um, what do you want SLPs who've been listening to be able to take away with them? What do you want to leave them with? I think my goal is to leave people feeling empowered. And I don't know if I've actually done that. I, it's my opinion that we already know how to do this work. It's not separate from what we're already doing. Talking about functional phrases, practicing functional phrases, talking about nonverbal ways to communicate a, an idea or a need. That's is something that we do absolutely every day. It's just that a lot of times we don't remember or think of the sex and intimacy component. Mm -hmm. And I think that just bringing yourself, making yourself aware of it, feeling confident and comfortable in bringing up the topic that's the hard part. Mm -hmm. We know how to do the speech therapy. We've been doing mm -hmm. it for however long you've been an SLP. The hard part is grappling with ourselves and our own discomfort in the topic. Because once we're, we can get past that, we can do anything. <laughs> we're speech so pathologists, true. darn it. I mean, like, I, so we can do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's it's if you are able to hold space for somebody and, and be non-judgmental, then you can do this and you can do so much with that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, when we work with patients who have very different views and very different life experiences from us and different political views, and maybe they want to use that to practice their communication skills. Like mm -hmm. it's our job and our responsibility to hold the space for them because what we're doing is we're equipping them to communicate their message. And so whatever that message is, like, why can't we hold the space for that? And I, the relationships I feel like that I have developed with my clients since starting to be real purposeful about the sex and intimacy stuff have just been so much deeper. Like you can't talk about sex with somebody without really trusting them and having a vulnerability in yourself and having a vulnerability for your client. And so the amount of really functional communication, even that has nothing to do with sex and intimacy, that mm -hmm. we've been able to practice and address because we have this relationship. It's amazing, honestly. Um, and that's what we want to be doing, right? We're not workbook therapists. We're not cookbook therapists. We're people that address human beings and their ther their needs. Yes. I love that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It, it is. can be fun. It, it doesn't have to be scary. It can be fun. Yeah. And I can only imagine how that patient feels like if you bring it up and they're like, wow, this therapist cares about me. They see me as a human being. They see me mm -hmm. as a full functioning person. They're not just here to check off some boxes and move on to the next person. Like they're actually invested in making sure like I'm back to experiencing my full life. Like it's, if, yeah. if that happened to me and my therapist brought that up, I'd be like, wow, this person's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think one of the most valuable things we do for our clients is making them realize that you might have a communication disorder that doesn't make you any less of a person that doesn't make you any less valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and so bringing up the fact that, yeah, you have an entire whole life and all of it matters and you should get to experience all of it. Mm -hmm. it. It just makes, I mean, it would make me feel good. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, excellent, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your lines of research and your passion for helping us equip our patients to be able to communicate with their loved ones and their significant others and to get back and living their full life after they've had um, <laughs> something interfere with that. So I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me come on. I have really enjoyed this talk. Right. Wonderful, Laura. So if people want to continue this conversation and learn more, um, how can they reach out and get in touch with you? So I have a website that has a currently free course. It's an hour and a half because apparently I can't stop talking. Uh, <laughs> it's thelanguageforsex.com. Um, I also have an Instagram. It's at thelanguageforsex and a Gmail, thelanguageforsex at gmail.com. And I love hearing from people. I love questions and just having the opportunity to do a little bit of mentorship. It's my favorite. Excellent. Well, cool. Thank you again. Thank you.